Hey guys, we're back to Romans chapter 12. We're not ready to move to verse 9 just yet because we're still taking a look at Paul's doctrine of the church. That's what this is, folks. This is Paul's doctrine of the church. And the, the thing that he uses to illustrate his doctrine of the church is an, is a, is a sim, is a illustration known as the body. That's nothing new. I mean, uh, it was a, it was made real popular by a book by Ray Stedman back in the 70s, I think, or 60s. He wrote a book called Body Life, and it, it just uh, sold mega millions. But uh, uh, he, he was referring to this illustration that Paul uses to, to explain his doctrine of the church. And um, that, that, that body illustration has to do with the, with the, with the, with the aggregate people of God uh, having, being variously gifted, differently gifted. But each member of that body has uh, some gift that they contribute to the overall health of the body. Um, and so, there, as I've said, there's a, there's a disagreement as to how many are listed in the New Testament. I have chosen 15, which I think is a fairly conservative number, uh, and, I, and I've tried to cram this into four weeks, and, uh, and we're going to finish up tonight and then go back to the text uh, beginning at verse 9 next week. But we have four more gifts to look at. Uh, we looked at seven in a matter of two weeks, and those seven were listed in the text of Romans 9. But that didn't uh, exhaust the number that are listed in the New Testament, so there's, there were um, six other or uh, eight others that we were looking at, and here are four more. The, the, uh, the, the first one that we will look at tonight is the gift of faith. It is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, as being a gift. That is, um, that some have a spiritual gift of faith. Now, that may be a tad confusing, guys, because um, don't all Christians have faith? Yes, they do. Um, that's why you find me using the term saving faith so often. Because the faith that I think you have in mind is, don't all Christians have saving faith? Yes, they do. Um, But do all Christians have the same amount of faith? No, they don't. The, um, the, the, The New Testament speaks of little faith. You remember several times Jesus says, Oh, ye of little faith. You remember that? And then on another occasion, he points out how large a man's faith is. Remember in, in Luke chapter 7, this uh, Roman centurion that says, don't come, just speak the word. I'm a, you know, I'm a boss too. And, I, and Jesus says, <clears throat> never have I seen such great faith in all of Israel. The New Testament speaks of faith as something that grows in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. But it also speaks of people, some people who have this... <clears throat> um, I shouldn't call it extraordinary, but I'll call it extra, an extraordinary confidence in God where the rest of us are flagging. An extraordinary confidence in the purposes in the, uh, of, of God for the future of his, of his people. Um, they, they, are, they, they seem to see something that God wants done, whereas the others of us think, oh, that can never get done. It's just, there's just too, much, too many um, obstacles in the way. And, but these folks... Um, tend to have a measure of confidence that the rest of us don't have. Uh, I, I can tell you, I mean, I, I certainly, uh, <laughs> I don't have this gift, and I love to be around people who do, because they speak with such certainties that sometimes I, I don't speak with. Um, guys, let me give you an example. The classic example, I think, in the Bible is that, is that um, 
uh, is it Numbers 13, I believe it is? Remember that? When they'd, they'd come right up to the edge of the Promised Land, they'd come out of Israel, they'd cross the Red Sea, and here comes, here comes Israel uh, to take over the Promised Land. And Moses sends out 12 spies. Remember that story? And, um, and 12 of them go out there, and 10 come back and say, Oh, forsooth and anon, we can't do this. You know, they got all these problems. I mean, I, we can't fight those guys, and we'll never. But then there's two, Joshua and Caleb. They seem to see things that the rest of them didn't see. Now, I, I don't know how to evaluate those other ten. They may have been raw unbelievers for all I know. But here were two guys that um, when the rest of the uh, the group is saying, eh, I don't know, I don't know about that, they're saying, this can happen. Um, that's That's very possibly somebody that has the gift of faith. They, they, um, they can imagine a future that the rest of us can't, can't necessarily see. They, um, they, they, they see and speak of future events as present realities because they, they have a confidence, again, that the rest of us don't have. Now, guys, do not confuse saving faith with the gift of faith. Um, the Christian life for all of us, begins and continues by um, the exercise of faith. There is a saving faith, and it grows as we, as we exercise uh, more and more faith. But there are still some in the body of Christ who have an ability to believe God when the rest of us don't. Um... They seem to be able to walk into a room and imagine it in the way that it should be. They, 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 can, they can calculate. I, I'm not saying they predict, but they see things. They, I'll say this again. They, they speak of uh, future opportunities as present realities. And I, I, I love that statement. And, and they do. They are, um, they're very needed in the leadership of the Christian church because... Um, uh, they tend to think big, but they think a kind of big that that tends to reflect God's uh, God's character. They're not foolish. I mean, I, I hear of churches. I, I know of one church that um, uh, I, I don't forget how much money they borrowed. They borrowed uh, fifty-five million dollars or something like that. And they in their in their raising of monies, they only raised they only raised thirty million dollars, but they went out and borrowed fifty-five. And uh, and they said, well, the other 25 will just have to accept on faith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there, you know, that might be what that is. It might be pure um, foolishness. But the gift of faith is possessed on the part of some in the, in the body of Christ that just, uh, like a Joshua and a Caleb, they have confidence when the rest of us don't. That is a gift, but make sure you don't confuse it with the, or you have to differentiate or keep separate saving faith from this gift of faith that is mentioned. I will say this too, if you have this gift, um, sometimes to the others of us you come across as rather stubborn um, and unrealistic, you know, discussing all this future stuff. You're just a little bit you're a little bit much for the rest of us because we don't we don't have what you have. We, I mean, that's that's the nature of a spiritual gift. But um, you talk about things, and, it, and it, it's somewhat upsetting to the rest of us because um, God has not gifted us 
particularly in that way. All right, that's the gift of faith. Here's the second one for the night. It has to do with the gift of discernment. Now, guys, in my humble opinion, by the way, it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. Um, in, in, my, um, in my opinion, this gift is the rarest one in the body of Christ. I was told not to hit it hard. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, the Greek word that is translated, uh, the reason I put these Greek words, because they, they, they mean something. The word for discernment in the, in the, um, in the Greek vocabulary is a combination of two Greek words, a, a preposition which means through, and this word uh, in its verb form means to judge. Um, discernment is the ability to judge through. Discernment is an ability to um, to figure out uh, or to know with a certain level of assurance whether a certain behavior or a certain um, message even that's uh, that's represented as being from God um, is really not. It's something human. It's something even devilish. But it's it's the ability to spot that false thing. When the rest of us are um, are maybe mesmerized by it, <laughs> I'll tell you guys, it it really was an alarming thing to me to see God's people get sucked into something like the shack. And I am grateful to God that it has come and gone. But that was a piece of heresy and christians got sucked into that thing and that's what prompts me to say that that the 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 rarest spiritual gift in the christian church today is the gift of discernment the ability to judge through can i can i give you a what i think is a great example Uh, turn in your bibles if you will to Acts 16 Acts 16 paul is on one of his missionary journeys and i don't i think it's the second one um, you know, the, the New Testament records three of his missionary journeys, but there's most people think there was really a fourth, um, or most guys that I, I trust. But but anyway, he's on his. I think he's on the second one. Um, and um, I'm in Acts 16. Uh, yeah. Um, let's start with verse 16. This this is the illustration what I, of discernment. I think. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, guys, look at this. If somebody followed me around after I preached and said, y'all need to listen to that guy. He's a servant of the Most High God who proclaims to you the way of salvation. If somebody did that, you know what I would be doing? I would probably be sending her gift cards to Ruth Chris's. I mean, tell me, what is there that's bad about that? 
this guy is a servant of the Most High God and he's bringing you a message of salvation. What is bad about that? Is that not good stuff? Would you not, in the main, like to hear that said of you? Why, of course you would. I'm a servant of the God of God Most High and I proclaim a gospel of salvation. That's what it said here. But But notice, Paul turns around and says, come out of her. What did she say that was wrong? Nothing. But in this, this ability to judge through, Paul saw something that the rest of us didn't see. She was a demon or a demonette. But that's discernment at work, folks. That even though the words may be somewhat Good. There is this ability on the part of this gifted human or this gifted Christian to detect that there's something there that is that's fleshly. It's not good. It's uh, it's not right. It's um, it's coming from the wrong source. Guys, um, may I add to my um, my urgency? Whereas this is, in my opinion, the rarest of gifts in the, in the Christian church. That is, I see it in fewer of God's people. Whereas it is the rarest in our day, it is one of the most needed. And it is one of the most needed because there's so much falsehood that is afoot. How the Christian church ever got taken in over the shack, I will never get it. Why we spent money, why you made me go out and buy that book and read it so that I could come and talk to you about it, uh, is, is, is phenomenal. It was, it, was, it was awful, ladies and gentlemen. Awful. I understand how it how it appeal to your visceral responses of the loss of a child and the the loss of a loved one and all that. I understand that. I, I can see how he could hook you right in there. But beyond that, how did you go forward with that? Now, let me, let me say this. Here, here's why I think there's so little of this. If the gift of discernment is the ability to judge through and, and see through to something that's good or false, what is it that is the basis for the judgment? What, what is the thing that trains the discerner? What is it that, that is the, the source of his discerning ability? It's a pretty obvious answer, folks. It's the knowledge of this book. Discerners discern based on what they know about God, what, what God has said. And because in, in, in so many corners, there's so much, there's so little real knowledge of what's said in here that we get hooked into stuff like that. I, I, you know, I, I might as well, I'm on a roll here. I mean, that is about bad books. I might as well, uh, you know, just offend you again, I guess. I, I don't intend. But um, the whole Left Behind series. Now, that that was at least written by a brother. 
Tim LaHaye's a dear brother. But, ladies and gentlemen, that was one step above a Dell comic book. Now, and those of you who have taken Will Seville's um, class on, on eschatology, you know that now. But I, I wonder how much of God's money, how much of God's people's money was spent on that when it, it, it should have never, it should have never taken hold. But it did. Because of a loss for, I mean, because of an absence of, of discernment. Guys, um, not, by the way, just, do you know what syntax is? A discerner has syntax to him. Um, when, when you're, at least when you're in seminary, um, you know, they, they, at least when I went, this was in 1972, so you can, I don't know if they do it, but say, but we had to go, actually, we went in March and we just kind of wasted a quarter, really, but, um, that summer, I had to take a Greek course. It was 10 weeks of Greek. And, um, I mean, you went from 8 o'clock until 5 o'clock in the evening, um, you know, for 8 weeks, or was it 10 weeks? I think it was just 8 weeks. And you learned the Greek language. And um, and what you do is you learn vocabulary, you learn uh, you learn grammar, you learn how to conjugate verbs and decline nouns, you learn about participles, um, and to that end, I'm pretty efficient when it comes to handling a Greek text, a Greek New Testament, fairly. But there's something else, folks, that you will never get in a Greek course, and that is syntax. Um, the guy that taught me Hebrew, um, wild man, I, I remember he swang, at, literally swung on the rafters in class one day. But um, he, was, he, was a, he was good with Hebrew grammar and vocabulary and all that business. But what they did is they sent him to Jerusalem for a year. Because just because you know Greek grammar doesn't mean you know much Greek. Because there's a syntax to the language. There's, there's certain things, there's, there's certain things that you pick up about, about a language that you, you just don't, it, it's not grammar. It's a feel. It's a knowledge of, it's a way the, the, the language, um, just understood little nuances that you, that you, that you gotta be a, you know, a Jew to know about, uh, Hebrew and a Greek to know about Greek. What I'm saying is, there's a syntax about this book. You may know, well, well I got, to, I went to, I did my, my sword drills and I went to, I memorized all those verses and, and I, I went to vacation Bible school for 10 straight years. And I know some of the stuff in here. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a feel. And, and I'm not saying I possess it. There is a feel. There is a, there is a, there's an immersion, there's an a soaking in, in this book that, that equips you to do this with a greater skill. Like you see the Apostle Paul doing. I, ladies and gentlemen, had I been with Paul that day and I'd been following him along with Luke, I'd have been saying, hear that woman back there? <laughs> she would say about my buddy here. <laughs> While she was a devil. But her words were right. But that ain't enough, folks. And, and that's why I take you to this text. Some people have the gift of discernment, and they use it to, to guard the rest of us from error. 
um, they detect error. They have the ability to, to sense when something that is presented is, is, is human or divinely inspired. There's an inner uneasiness in the presence of those who are asking, who are using human reason. That's the gift of discernment, guys. And it's, um, we can't spend any more time, um, um, but it's, it's something that is given you by the Spirit of God Himself that, that, that you need to use to protect the rest of us. Because um, there's a lot of error out there, um, seemingly more all the time. Okay, two more, and we've got 12 minutes. Um, the gift of evangelism. Now, guys, I said this earlier, but now there are those. I mean, for instance, um, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, do the work of an evangelist. And everything that we know about Timothy would, 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 lend, uh, would uh, prompt us to think that he wasn't much of an evangelist. Uh, what, what I'm saying is this. Even though there are some within the body who find doing evangelism a great delight, and we'll, we'll talk about some characteristics in a second. All of us have the responsibility of doing evangelism. Just like all of us have the responsibility to do discernment. And just like all of us have the responsibility to believe God. But some of us are more gifted at it. If you've got the gift of evangelism, you, you make, um, you, you, you establish relationships with non-Christians easier than the rest of us. Uh, non-Christians are not put off by you. Um, you have the ability to share the gospel with unbelievers in such a way that they, that they, um, you see, you see them more frequently responding in faith than the rest of us. Um, uh, I, I, I can say that non-Christians are more drawn to you than they are, um, you show a, a, a strong interest in non-Christians and you easily build relationships with them. Um, let, let me say, guys, that if you do have the gift of evangelism, by the way, there is this thing they call the 10% rule. Uh, and I don't, I don't know who, who came up with this, but they say that 10% of every church has, uh, is, has the gift of evangelism. So one out of 10 of you, uh, have the gift of evangelism. I, I don't know whether that's true. It's just a kind of a rule of thumb that they put in books, but, um, there, there, there is, there are people who find that to be their greatest delight. And they're, they're the most comfortable when they're doing evangelism, whereas the rest of us are the most uncomfortable when we're doing evangelism. All of us still share that responsibility. But if you do have this gift, let, let me tell you some things that, um, um, that, that the rest of us are going to misunderstand you Kind of like this. Uh, your failure to stay with new converts very long appears that you have really no interest in spiritual growth. You're not much of a discipler. You move from the one, one non-Christian to the next and the rest of them are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about discipleship? And that's, you know, you know it's interesting. There are agencies that grew up, uh, of parachurch organizations. You've heard of them both. You've heard of, um, Campus Crusade for Christ. Great agency worldwide. What were they known for? Well, they were known primarily for evangelism, you know, the four spiritual laws and all that business. Then, about the same time, another agency grew up and it was called the Navigators. <laughs> and what were the Navigators known for? They were known for discipleship. So you've got these two huge worldwide agencies. 
One's doing discipleship and the other one majoring in evangelism. And the, and the disciples are saying, wait a second, you guys are not interested in seeing people uh, mature and grow in the Lord. And the evangelists are saying, well, you guys aren't interested in non-Christians. Neither, no, neither one of those things are true. But it, it, that tends to be the, the misunderstanding that exists if you have the gift of uh, evangelism. Your emphasis on a simple gospel may lead um, may lead others of us to think that you're fairly shallow. Because all you want to get out is a simple gospel message that will be clear and basic so that the non-Christian can can um, can make a make a clear decision. Um your emphasis on people coming to Christ may cause some to feel that you're only concerned for decisions. That is, oh, the, the ugly term is scalps. Uh, that is, I'm just going to get professions of faith. Um, guys, if you have the gift of evangelism, here, here's one way you can tell. Do people come to know the Lord with you with a fair degree of frequency? If they do, it's it's very likely that God has given you the gift of evangelism. Um, uh, I I think Gracie Fan probably has about ten percent of its congregation that have the gift of evangelism. I, I mean, I see a, a, a good not a goodly number, but a a, a number of uh, men and women who find it very easy to establish these relationships and move the conversation to. Um, a simple presentation of the gospel. You know, um, if, you, if you've got this gift, then you normally pray when you get on an airplane that God will sit somebody next to you that, that you can talk to them about Christ. I, on the other hand, get on the airplane and say, Lord, don't put anybody in the row with me. <laughs> Let me sit there by myself. Um, but, but if you've got the gift of evangelism, you really, you really enjoy it. And, and interestingly, because the Spirit of God has granted you that, um, that seems to happen to you a lot. You know, it just, well, how about that? Somebody sat next to me on the airplane and we just, well, um, uh, in, in my whole, I mean, I'm 62 years old in the, in the, my 62 years of living. Um, and I don't know how many years of that were flying, but, uh, I probably have had that experience twice. But if you've, if you've got the gift of evangelism, it happens to you a whole lot more than that. Okay, the last one for the night is the gift of wisdom. Uh, anybody in here know um, anybody by the name of Sophia? Um, the Greek word is Sophia. So if, you're, if you've got a friend named Sophia, she's named wisdom. She's known for wisdom. Now, guys, this is kind of tricky because the, the New Testament talks a lot about wisdom. It talks about false wisdom. It talks about real wisdom. In fact, if you um, uh, if you know anything about the first the first chapter, first two chapters of First Corinthians, the the major word that you're going to find in there is wisdom, wisdom, the wisdom of the world, and the uh, in the wisdom of God, um, rendering foolish the wisdom of the of man, and that that kind of thing. A lot of discussion about wisdom. Now, guys, um, there is a there's there's several little, dis- by the way, it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Um, James has a very, a fairly lengthy discussion of it in his short book. Um, 
James chapter 2, I think, um, uh, where he talks about uh, um, what does wisdom look like. Um, and the first thing that he says, if I could, if I could just lay my hand on it, but um, he says that the first characteristic of, of biblical wisdom is purity. There's a moral character to it or a, a moral dimension to it. Guys, one of the reasons that people are drawn to you and say, gosh, are they wise, is that they feel safe in the kind of life that, you're, that you have on display. The, the, the primary characteristic is a, is a, is a lifestyle characteristic. If, if God has granted you this gift of wisdom, then, then what he has put it in is somebody who has a real uh, sweet pursuit of holy living. And so when people are drawn to you for your counsel, you do end up telling them wise things, but the reason that they're drawn is they see such consistency in your lifestyle. Um, now, now, you know um, that, that the Bible makes a distinction between um, wisdom and knowledge. Um, those two things are different. We talked about the gift of knowledge last week. Wisdom is different. Wisdom has more of an applicatory um, or an application to it than does knowledge. Um, if you are, if people are seeking your counsel frequently, it very likely is because you have the gift of um, you have the gift of wisdom, um, guys. I, it's in James chapter three and not two. Um, verse 13, um, I, I'm not going to read all of this to you, but it, he starts in 313. He says, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Um, do you see that? What I'm, that is who has, who's wise in there? Well, let's demonstrate it by good conduct. Good conduct is the kind of the earmark of someone who has the gift of wisdom. It is an ability to know the mind of the Spirit in such a way as to uh, receive insight into a, a, a given uh, situation, and you you find it. I mean, you apply God's word to it more readily, and are able to do that. There's you you can you 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 apply God's truth to specific needs. You are drawn to hurting people. Uh, people, I mean, if you've got the gift of um, uh, wisdom, you would probably make a pretty good counselor. Um, uh, people seek you out for your counsel. Uh, they, they, um, you're respected because of the counsel that you give. Um, but uh, your downside, or at least one of your downsides, um, is, a, is a tendency to think that you've got answers for everybody's problems. And um, and you may not. None of us really do. But the gift of wisdom is is somebody who um, does have a lifestyle that supports um, that gift, and people see that lifestyle and long to hear what you have to say. Uh, guys, um, um, let me close like this. Um, the Bible does make this statement, and it makes it several times it says the beginning of wisdom you know how that completes don't you the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the lord uh, wisdom begins 
in this thing called the fear of God. It's not a dread. It's not quaking. But it is a view of God that, that, that prompts in you a hatred for and a um, fleeing from sin. Wisdom starts right there. It starts with the fear of God. All Christians start there. It's just that some of us, or some of you, um, have a lifestyle that is not threatening, it's inviting, it's somewhat magnetic, um, not because you can define doctrines, but because you can take doctrines and apply them in such a way that you lessen my emotional pain. I, I will say this too. If you've got the gift of wisdom, you're normally, you're, you're normally drawn to emotional pain far more, far more quickly than you are physical pain. It's that, it's that depressed brother and sister that is the one that you want to come alongside of because God has gifted you to take his word and apply it in such a way that um, the needs are lessened. The gift of wisdom, Sophia. I love that, that term. Let's quit, and I'll pray. Lord, as we have looked at these things, I pray that you will help your, your people discover who they are and what you've gifted them to be, and, and that um, this body, known as Grace Evan, will become healthier because people have not only discovered, but have deployed uh, the gifts that you gave them, gifts that you expect to be exercised for your glory, gifts that are useful and needed for the healthy functioning of any local church or any uh, the, the broader body of Christ um, worldwide. Father, would you unfreeze assets at Grace Evan? Would you give people a sense of who they are um, and, and why you have called them to yourself and how you intend to use them for the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? I thank you for the privilege that's mine to, to handle this book, and I pray that if there has been error spoken, that you will guard your people from it. But what's been said that is true to this book, use it to develop us all into greater lovers of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks and good night.